Hey, Cask Chasers, we'll start the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey there, Joshua Hatton with Impex Beverages again. And, and I'm joined once again, and really as always, because I'm married to her, I'm joined with my wife, Haida. Hey. Hi. <laughs> now, I know you don't get excited about scotch whiskey. I do not. You don't really get excited about world whiskeys. I don't. You are, however, a lover of, of all things Japanese. I do love Japan. You do love Japan. Mm-hmm. And things that are Japanese. Yeah. So what if I told you Impex Beverages imports a bunch of whiskeys from Japan? I might be mildly interested. Okay. So we import Oishi and Fukano, which are rice-based distillates. Okay. Right? And those whiskeys, you know, we mature them in cognac casks or sherry casks or new charred oak casks. Is that like sparking an interest yet? No. No. Okay. Okay. Let me try another one. Matsui. Mm. Mm. Now that sounds, sounds delicious. Good. That sounds delicious. Yeah. That's Japanese single malt whiskey matured in, well, it could be Mizunara casks, which is Japanese oak. Mm. Sakura casks. Do you know what Sakura is? I do not. That is cherry blossom wood. Fantastic. Yeah. And then they make a peated whiskey. You lost me 100% there. <laughs> What about a blended whiskey like Totori? I, I sure no, I don't no, know. You wouldn't do that. You would you do a highball? You like highballs? Do I? Yes, I've made you highballs before, and I liked it. You, I recall you liking it. I think maybe you wanted to recall that I liked it. <laughs> I think you could be correct there. Okay, the last the last bit about Japanese whiskey. There's a brand that I love called Kuriyoshi that we import, uh-huh. and that's called. It's basically called pure malt whiskey. So it's malt whiskey from from a bunch of different distilleries married together, kind of blended together to create an ultimate flavor profile. Sounds amazing. Would you drink it? No. Okay. I would. I know. Okay. Hey, Cast Chasers. In this episode, we're going to reach back into another prompt from some of our listeners who had questions about allocated whiskey, whiskey that's good for the everyday drink, and whiskey that's good for the folks that are just getting into the art and not really sure where to spend the money. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers podcast. Bobby, how are things? Good. How are you? How are you feeling? Dandy. Yeah. I'm uh I'm cozy. I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling uh really good about this episode is what I'm feeling. So Katie's not I in the know. studio because pregnancy is contagious and we're trying to Aaron and I haven't got our pregnancy yeah. shot yet. As we understand, as we understand it, we we could still I, I don't know how many masks you have to wear around a pregnant person. Yeah. But it's it's more than I have, I think. I don't understand how that sort of thing where I don't want to catch pregnancy. It's more it's more like the size of the mask because obviously you got the one on your face, but then you have to get one that kind of fits around your torso to protect that it gets area. In your belly button. And they're in short supply. I knew Yeah, it. exactly. It just zeroes in. I knew it. Yeah. I said so many arguments with our health ed teacher about where babies come from. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you explain to me a belly button. Is that what no, you said? I was so cocky as a little kid. 
I just assumed that was the case. Like, oh, it just opens up. It's a little vortex. So I never was the kid that asked my parents the uncomfortable question because I was sure I had it figured out. Boy, did I not. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't really have it figured out. So we're, so we're, well, you know, there's books. I don't want right. to, after that, this, I'll tell that's you. That's another episode. <laughs> when a man and a woman love each other very much, or anybody really that wants a kid doesn't love anyone, you can, we'll go down that road later. Okay. <laughs> There so ways. you're lucky. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you're lucky or not, because I think today's episode, we're going to kind of talk about allocated, right? Versus cheaper whiskeys that might be delicious and might, and you can't drink any of them. Yeah. yeah. What, what are we, what are we, where are we sort oh, of, darn. what are we sort of springboarding so, off of here, Katie? Yeah. So this one is another one that came up from a listener idea. Um, we had somebody reach out to us and basically say, Hey, look, I'm a new whiskey drinker. I don't really want to go for the top shelf stuff. Not really willing to spend that kind of cash right now. But I still want to get something maybe from the bottom shelf that is not terrible. So what we wanted to talk about today were some palatable and, dare I say, uh, maybe some of our favorite bottom shelf whiskeys. And then from there, try and figure out you know what makes them bottom shelf to begin with, what makes them different from a price point standpoint, and what separates them from some of the higher end stuff that uh, you know maybe maybe people would graduate to once they get a little thicker in the game. I love so that's where we are. I love that question because we've been in our whiskey journey. I hate saying it like that, whiskey journey. We've been in our whiskey journey long enough though that um we've seen good whiskeys become allocated. And by good whiskeys I mean good flavor, um, but good price point, you know, thirty dollar decent bourbon for thirty bucks, you know what I mean? But they they become something iconic which isn't good or bad, something sought after and therefore something allocated that, you know, specifically, you know, your Buffalo Trace, call it spade a spade, where some of these whiskeys have become so, you know, jacked up in price where they really shouldn't be. You know, behind us, we have the bottle, you know, the Van Winkle 10. That's a $60 bottle or should be. Maybe not even 60, 50. Something like that, yeah. 10-year-old bourbon. And that one, you can, 600 $700,000. Seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I've, find I've it. seen. I've seen it for ridiculous over a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what, what what are we gonna what are we going to qualify as a as a bottom shelf? If, oh, are, are, are we just gonna go go by price point? Maybe are we saying bottom shelf? Or are we saying inexpensive good whiskeys? Because there are bottom shelf whiskeys that are garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um. What, what what's a what? Why don't we talk about that? What's a sort of like a an inexpensive price point for a bourbon versus maybe a scotch something imported 20s 30s right? 20s 30s for for a bourbon yeah i'd say 20, 20s to 30s is going to be sort of your your lower end and l- let's say any anything under 35 bucks maybe yeah. anything under 35 bucks is going to be sort of your lower end as far as price you're paying and if i'm really you know swinging it here 45 65 for a scotch yeah yeah i'd say i'd say up to up to 60 65 for a scotch is going to be sort of your 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 lower to the bottom of your your mid end as far as pricing in the 30s goes. some yeah, but yeah and there there are you can find you can find a a decent scotch for around 35 and i think that's sort of what we're getting at with this is you know there's no real set whatever um scotches because they are imported because taxation, general, taxation, um, mm-hmm. because they are generally aged for longer to get more of the flavor of the right. barrel in them. Um, it's going to be a, a higher expense, so to speak. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, price is just is just a 
has to do more with the rarity of the whiskey because as it sits in the barrel, more of it evaporates, right? So more of it gets absorbed into the the barrel itself, more of it evaporates, and it's been sitting there just taking up space for longer. So that's sort of why a well, lot you of want, these... You want that to be the case. Yeah. There are times where prices is fabricated. Fabricated, arbitrary, especially when yeah. you get into the secondary market. Right. And and that sort of thing. So I mean I I, I think if if we're if we're talking MSRP, right. Nine times out of ten what you're seeing is price has more to do with the rarity of the juice itself. If if you have a and I'm agreeing with you here, if you have a twenty five year old plus scotch, you're paying for you might be paying for name um, but you're also paying for, uh, you know, a lot of it's evaporated, so there's a finite amount of it. If you're paying for a single barrel or a, you know, um, a small batch even, but a single barrel, it came from one barrel, a specific barrel, that year, you know, like the Henry McKenna that won its award, it was a certain year, certain barrel, you know, certain batch, whatever. So it had its price point based on that specific make of that product hit a nerve, it actually won some awards or whatever. So, so let me jump in real quick and try and reassemble some of the points that you guys hit on. Cause I, th- this is really helpful. And I love this conversation because, you know, this was me for a long time in some ways, I'm still there as a whiskey drinker. Um, because I, I still look at whiskey as something that I in, like enjoy when I want to enjoy it myself or have a special occasion or something. So one thing I think will be really helpful is understanding like, what are the obvious red flags from some of the quote unquote bottom shelf or like good quality inexpensive whiskeys that we're looking at and listening to you guys discuss how so much of the price points related to rarity and that rarity can come from age. It can come from the steps that take place in that aging process. One of the red flags kind of forming in my mind is, you know, if you see a scotch that's 25 years old and it's 30 bucks, that that doesn't sound like the math works out. So maybe that would be a red flag for something to stay away from. Is I, that kind of in the ballpark? And I would say, and this is my opinion, if you're picking whiskeys, you should build your profile before you start going down a road of spending money or high-end money. And then if you're going to start trying whiskeys that are super expensive because you have the budget for it or you, you just want to own one, try them at a bar or at a tasting first. So what I mean by back up a little bit, know your palate or learn your, or develop your palate, start with things that aren't hard to get and that are easy to purchase and build from there. One of my recent that I, I have avoided for a long time, um, but it's super cheap, super easy to get most of the time until now. Now it's going to be so crazy to get the old granddad 114, um, um, which we had with Dan single at uh, one of our events. Um, Fat, amazing, delicious whiskey, super cheap, super easy to get. Start there. You know, your Wild Turkey 101, great whiskey. You know, grab that if you're looking at bourbon. Um, inexpensive whiskey, scotch whiskeys. You know, grab something that's easily easy to get. Start to develop a profile on what you like and then build from there. What happens a lot is newer people to whiskey or they own a couple of bottles. They want to be... They want to meet an elitist or they want to taste something fantastic. They want their mind blown. So they get on the, you know, the forums and they get in the groups and they see somebody say, you know, well, if you're not drinking, you know, Weller Antique, which is one of my favorite bourbons, by the way, you're missing out. So they go out and they spend $500 for what should be a $65 at best bottle. You know what I mean? 
don't go waste your money until you, instead of trying a weeded bourbon that's $600 allocated, your weller, go try a Maker's 46, which is a fantastically inexpensive and delicious weeded bourbon. Start there, build your profile, and then work your way up the ladder. That's my opinion, first thing. So yeah, red flags are stop buying things for the sake of you think they're special and you need them on your shelf before you have developed any type of palate. And I think to, to spin off of that before you've developed your palate point, uh, I, I want to lean into that a little bit more. Basically, if you're new to whiskey and you go and purchase a bottle that a lot of people are raving about that is, you know, like a five, six, $700 bottle, even if that's its MSRP, you know, people are loving this bottle. Oh, this bottle's fantastic. You see a whole bunch of reviews of it. Oh, it's going to blow you away and whatever. If you go and buy that bottle and you're, you're not a whiskey drinker, you're not familiar with whiskey, you're just not going to get it. You're not going to understand. You're, you're going to go, okay, this tastes like whiskey to me. Why did I spend $600 on this when to me, it tastes just like this $30 bottle? You're not going to pick up on those nuance that you're, you're, you're not going to do that for the most part. I mean, you, you may have a killer palate going straight in, but for the most part, until you've developed your palate, know your own, um, sort of what you like, what you don't like, you're, you are not going to appreciate the difference between not, not even necessarily a low end and a high end whiskey, but you're, you're not going to get the hype of this particular whiskey because whiskey is going to taste like whiskey to you, you know, um, with me, that's how, that's how it started out. Okay. This is definitely a whiskey. And then I got to to the point where I could tell, okay, this is a whiskey. This is a single malt. Maybe, maybe this is a scotch. Maybe this is a bourbon and you keep going from there. So to somebody who's brand new or just getting into it and wanting to explore, I would say, unless, unless you've tried something that costs $600 and you say to yourself, wow, I think this, this is worth $600. Avoid those until you've spent the money, spent the time on these lower end, you know, 20, 20 through $60 bottles. And like Bobby said, just develop, develop your palate from there. And there's research done that shows marketing research uh, that, that has shown expensive whiskeys, expensive wines, expensive things do taste better because psychologically, you know, they're expensive. So... Mm-hmm. Another reason to develop your palate with easily obtainable and not necessarily affordable because some people have that income. They have that disposable income. They can afford, you know, what's expensive to you is not expensive to somebody else. But so instead of price, maybe easily accessible to build a palate to know by flavor, not trick yourself with the psychology of, well, I bought something expensive. Now I only have a taste for things with a price on them to really know what you enjoy in a whiskey, if you're really going to be a whiskey enthusiast. And then go from there. Because you may find, hell, you may, Macallan 25, which is, what, I don't know, four grand a bottle, may be your thing. But then there's $700, you can pay, you can buy a Highland Park 25, or $200, you know, there's another 25-year scotch you can buy. So there's a way to get old, there's a way to get unique without, you know, blowing the bank. And then psychologically putting yourself in a position where now that's what you drink or what you think you should be drinking. Um, because the thing I love, oh, sorry, I finished. No, that. That, exactly. I was ending there because you haven't developed any type of palette or true, you know, platform for yourself. So the thing that I love from what you guys are saying right now is 
you know, the recommendations it sounds like we're having to people that are just getting into whiskey tasting and enjoying whiskey, it all circles around to define your palate before you expand your collection, because that's going to help you tailor your collection to match what you actually like. And then also just the fact that the more you can understand and develop your palate, the more you're going to be able to pick up on some of the complexity that makes some of the higher end, more expensive whiskeys enjoyable. And to me, you know, I'm just kind of thinking back to what my own, you know, <laughs> whiskey journey was and getting into it and enjoying it. And there were definitely moments where I felt like I was kind of struggling to figure out how to navigate all the options because I had some people that would come up to me and they would just recite, you know, well, here's the stuff that you have to have on your roster if you're going to try good whiskey. And it would go through the pappies. It would go through, um, you know, Old Spot was brought up for some people. And I'd, I'd look at the price points on it as a new whiskey drinker and be like, I'm not even willing to spend or willing to spend like $150 on whiskey at this point. I just don't know. So I love that we're reinforcing that there's so much that you can take from just taking the time to trust your own instincts and palate as you develop it versus just trying to chase something else that somebody's recommending without context. I think that's really helpful. And I also want to, I, I want to hammer home the point uh, that Bobby made too. It feels counterintuitive, but Whiskey is very, very much something you should try before you buy. I think, um, unless unless you you you're very familiar with a with a distiller or with you know sort of their flavor profile, or you have people that you follow that you trust their specific palate, and you're like, yeah, pretty much anything that this person says tastes like this. I I know I'm going to enjoy. I know I'm going to like. Um, because I mean, you think you think of it from a standpoint of beer. You know, you get a six pack of beer for whatever a six pack of beer costs, and then you're gonna spend you know seven dollars in a bar for one for one bottle. You know, and that really feels counterintuitive. But with whiskey, every single time I would say, hey, before you decide to spend a thousand dollars on this bottle try the single drink of it for 50 bucks or join a group or join, where you can yeah. taste at a tasting, you know, or something like that too. It's, you know, people get caught up in this. It's the identity of what they should be drinking. And I would say if somebody brings up, you know, what's a great whiskey, what's a great bourbon. And you hear the first thing out of their mouth is, well, Pappy, something, 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 something. Right. Be careful. Nothing wrong with Pappy, by the way. Pappy, you know, the 20-year, the 25, they're delicious. They, they're they really good. They're not worth that, in my opinion, they're not worth that price point by any means. <laughs> um, but they are very, very, very good. Um, but you hear these, you said red flags earlier. Those are kind of red flags to me sometimes. But, um, you know, but then I'll talk to somebody like, well, what's your favorite whiskey? What's a good bourbon that I could pick? And you hear them say, you know, rhetoric, or you hear them say, well, there's this local, you know, old line to us is local, and they probably make one of the best American single malts I've ever had. Um, not allocated, easy to get. I mean, easy to get if you, if they're serving in your area, just because they're kind of small and new. But you don't have to grab that, the Nike, not to pick on Nike, the, you know, everybody says the best shoe, Nike. But then right, you go to right. a runner, a real runner, and a runner is probably not going to say night. They're probably going to say if some obscure brand that you've never heard of or that's, you know, you wouldn't think makes the best running shoe. Well, I, I think that's a really great comparison because Thank I, you. you're welcome. So, you, <laughs> you know, guys are thinking through it so well. <laughs> but, well back, back, back before I was, you know, too lazy to do anything, I did run for a while, and somebody said, hey, go you to have a runner's body. Go to. <laughs> 
Anyway, go to go to you know this face for radio. That's right, <laughs> great face for radio. Go to uh, this store. They know what they're talking about. They're going to get you in the right shoe. And at this store, you know, they watched how I walked. They looked at my feet and they watched how I ran. And they said, "Hey, these nine shoes here are going to fit you." You know, it, at a very good liquor store, if you go in and you tell them, hey, th- this is sort of my profile, this is what I'm thinking, or you you join a, a whiskey group on Facebook or something like that, and you say, hey, these are some things I like, or these are the flavors I like, they're going to be able to help you to say, hey, this, this, and this, and like two of those things might be something you've never heard of, but, you know, they're a really solid brand or a really solid expression. Um, I think, I think seeking, seeking out the advice of folks who know what they're talking about is, is also really good for somebody just getting into it. Can I, can I show you a parlor trick or teach you something that kind of proves the proof in the pudding that it's mostly psychological and ho- I love magic. Ho- Let's yeah, go. hopefully this helps people, <laughs> you know, Aaron and I, you know, we do a lot of tastings and a lot of education with whiskey kind of on the outside the podcast cast chasers is also an enthusiast group but it's also an education group and locally in this area we do a lot of tastings we can i bet you i can take a bottle of good whiskey anything really that's good i mean really quality made um not expensive name a good whiskey that's not expensive larceny larceny okay let's step it up a notch let's say i don't know larceny barrel proof sure okay i can take a larceny barrel proof put it in a decanter blind taste it my wife, our event person, can set up a an event, beautiful event, right environment, right music, right ambiance, right everything, right food, everything perfect. Make an experience. Aaron and I, with a sales background, will be alive and we'll really we'll, we'll put on a show. You know what I mean? We'll introduce ourselves. We'll make you fall in love with it. I'll pour you a glass, pair it with something amazing, make the night really cool and fun. And that will become one of your favorite whiskeys. And then you'll say, this is amazing. What is it and where do I get it? And I'll say, that's Larceny Barrel Proof that's or right. regular Larceny. I remember sitting on a, on, a, on a mountain in the highlands of Scotland drinking a glass of Kalila um, 12-year, which is a good whiskey. Is it mind-blowing? No. In a normal day, if I brought you to my house, I was like, let me pour you something really quick. And I poured you that. You'd be like, oh, no, this that's, is tasty. that's pretty good. good. Yeah, that's good. It's one of my favorites because of the environment, because of the mentality, because of everything that happened around it. The experience made it taste better. So you can't just, I've done blind tastings with, you know, Pappies versus, you know, what would we do? Like a Weller. A Weller or Maker's Mark. Whatever, you know. And you'll be surprised depending on the environment, depending on the the influence I put on the one I'm leaning towards that I want you to taste. It's the whole Pepsi Coke, you know, blind taste they used to do. You know, as long as I put the emphasis on this glass, now try this one. You know what I mean? I kind of lean into it with it. They drink 99% of the time they go, this one tastes, this is the one, this is the good one. And I'm like, that's actually, it's mentality. It's all in your head. It's not to say you can't taste good whiskey. It's to say that, don't get caught up in the hype of online perpetual mm-hmm. buy expensive. It words. is it is okay to like an inexpensive whiskey. It is okay to prefer an inexpensive whiskey to an expensive whiskey. Right. That should never be your deciding factor on purchasing or what you like or what you don't like. I would say is sort of the the crux of 
of of that. To summarize my rant. That's right. To, to summarize the first <laughs> 45 minutes of this episode. You were saying, no, I'm, that- I'm glad that you guys are hitting on that, though. Yeah, well, it's funny because on one hand, you know, as you guys were talking, I kind of had this visual in my head of you two being out on the side of a crowded street or maybe like a boardwalk, right? Lots of foot traffic, non-COVID times. And instead of the shell game where you kind of hide the penny or whatever is a little bit of an illusion, a little bit of a mind trick. It's that, but with the good quality whiskey. And, and I say that in kind of a tongue in cheek way, because I love diving into the psychology and, you know, what is the, what is the emotional connection or what is like the atmosphere that you find yourself in when you're tasting whiskey and how does that influence what you enjoy about it? And then it's kind of a cool trick that when you peel back the layers of it and just look at what you're drinking, chances are it's, it's probably not a hundred percent psychological. It's not completely your brain tricking you because there are some really good options out there that you don't have to pay a ton of money for. We in the cash chaser circle, we have a friend, I'm not going to mention names. We have a friend uh, that we know that makes a blends their own whiskey and it's put in a decanter and this person comes up and visits us every now and again, you know, what I'm talking about It's not important to the listeners who it is, but anyway, they put their whiskey in a decanter. The whiskey is mediocre at best. <laughs> Everybody loves it because it, they're like, I, I need it. When's he coming back up? When's he coming back with his blend? Because he, he presents it in these crystal decanters. You know, there's little special, I have one literally right behind me right now in this stupid decanter. It's, it's gorgeous decanter. He goes out of his way. He tells a story behind it about his family legacy, what goes into it and everything else. I know what's in it. And I'm like, this is, this is a boring, this is nothing. It's not, but the story, the (laughs) epic behind it. Every time I pour it, people are like, this is amazing. What is this? Yeah. And I'm like, it's a special blend from a special person. And they're like, that makes it even more better. I'm like, yeah, I guess it, it's an ether. Well, and, and it's like, it's like Michael Jordan's special stuff in Space Jam. Yes. It's just written, <laughs> written on the label, exactly. yeah. tricking people into thinking that. Well, and we were, uh, again, at, at one of our events in a, in a, a pre COVID time, um, we were at an event and, uh, a fellow that came, pe- people just bring all sorts of bottles. Um, if we're doing like a tasting event, just because we have sort of like a whole social thing afterwards. And, um, he brought something down. Um, and he was like, he was like, you know, I, I don't really, I, I don't really like this. Um, if you guys like it or you want to take it for the group, you know, please take it. I'm not going to drink it, which is something that whiskey people do all the time, by the way. If I don't like if if I don't like a whiskey, I will give it to someone who does enjoy it because otherwise it's just going to sh- sit on my shelf forever. Um, but I drank it. I really liked it. I was like, oh, I do like this. And he's like, well, you know, why, why don't you guys keep it? Great. And a few of us were sitting around afterwards and we were drinking it and I really enjoyed it. And Bobby... Bobby goes, oh, you know, it's, it's all right. I think, I, I, I think I like this. And a couple, a couple more people were like, it's all right. And I'm like, I don't even know like what a bottle of this costs. And we go and we look it up online and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. And we go and look it up online. It was like a $180 bottle of whiskey and Bobby, and we take a, a couple more sips and Bobby goes, can you believe it actually tastes better to me now that I know how much it costs? And it is, I mean, they're, 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 there is a psychological thing that we just 
we can't get away from once we find something once we find something out it's the same thing as when you're drinking a whiskey and somebody yells out some tasting note then you then you just taste it you're like mm-hmm. yeah i get i guess i guess i guess mothballs are in this yeah i can taste the mothballs <laughs> here um yeah so that that yeah. that's one other thing real quick before we continue let's take a quick break for one of our sponsors and we'll get right back into the conversation yay sponsor Hey Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker and fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make a weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky-grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in bottled in bond or cask strength. It's non-chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information, not some magical recipe or who Shane's great-great-grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at wildernesstraildistillery.com. All right, Cast Chasers, we are back, and we spent a good amount of time in the first part of this episode talking about some of the psychology and some of the ways that your whiskey tasting and whiskey collection building experience can be based off your profile and uh, how much that can change just based on the setting that you're in. So now that we're back with the guys, we're actually going to get into some of these whiskeys. We've got two everyday whiskeys that we're going to taste for you guys today and talk through the notes. Bobby and Aaron, I believe we're starting off with Wild Turkey. Is that correct? Yeah, the 101, which is pretty classic. Um, If we've ever been 17 years old and wanted to do shots (laughs) with our friends... Um, wild turkey was probably involved, um, specifically in the South or I'm, you know, the Texas, Oklahoma region. I feel like wild turkey is kind of what it is. I imagine it's the same way for you East coasters up here. Everyone's heard of wild turkey. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. Know, okay. It, that, I didn't know if it was like, new to yeah, me. No, all right. No, all right. No. It's a brand heard, that you know? It, it is a brand that okay, I, okay. Heard, I know of them. The joke to that is wild turkey is a known brand. I mean, it's everywhere and they have some higher echelon whiskeys in their portfolio but the Wild Turkey 101, it's a straight bourbon, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Um, it's, I don't know, what's its proof? It, uh, it is... Uh, I believe 100, am it, I right? Probably not 100 proof. Or 100, 100... Uh, no, yeah, 101 proof. Yeah, 101 proof. So 50.5% ABV. Um, it's a, it's got a pretty, pretty standard mash bill. So it's 75% corn, 13% rye, but then 12% malted, malted barley, malted barley, <laughs> malted barley. So it's 75%. That that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 75% corn, 13% rye, and then 12% malted barley. I, I like, I tend to like a, a whiskey that has at least a little bit of, uh, malted barley in it. Um, again, maybe just because my affinity for scotch and that's what your single malts are going to be. They're going to be a hundred percent malted barley. Um, so I mean it pretty standard, but good also, you know, uh, we, we always talk about, or I will always say how your big names, the names that you know, got there for a reason, you know, they appeal to a lot of people and there are going to be plenty of people that don't like wild Turkey one oh one. There are plenty, going to be plenty of people that don't like Woodford reserve. There are going to be plenty of people that don't like Elijah Craig or Johnny Walker or whatever. Well, they're mass produced. So right. they're, they're designed to have a pretty, you know, consecutive or continuous profile. They're not designed to change year after year. They're not 
designed to be unique bottle to bottle. Um, you don't see that until you get to your small batch or, you know, your, you know, again, like the Henry McKenna or the Angel's Envy, you know, certain 18 will taste a little bit different than the 19. The wild turkeys of the world are designed to taste the same every year, but they're also designed to appease, you know, a bourbon drinker that's looking for a, cons- a consistency. Um, I like this. I mean, I haven't, I've had it recently because I I bought a bottle before this too. We just opened this one. It's a good daily bourbon drinker. It's super sweet in the right area towards the end. Not a long finish, nothing crazy. It's not going to blow your mind, but it's a good whiskey. You're not scared to mix it. You're not scared to blend it. It's great straight. You can put it on raw. You don't have to worry about, you know, losing anything in it. Um, it's the right proof as far as I'm concerned, 101. I asked, I can't believe I asked you what the proof was. It's literally Wild Turkey 101. <laughs> I know. So stupid. Um, Made the connection. Yeah. I actually knew that. I'm just dumb. Uh, anyway, so it's 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 a genuine whiskey. It's a really good whiskey, and it's a classic. And most people don't grab it because the new the guy the people that are the men and women are drinking whiskey for a party they're grabbing your jack daniels or something like that to mix or whatever your whiskey enthusiast doesn't grab it because a lot of times they're like well i want something better than wild turkey but the i think a real whiskey drinker appreciates whiskeys like this maybe not wild turkey specifically but they like this price pointed 28 bucks or whatever i paid for it you know maybe even less than that good whiskey so here's a question Here's a question for you guys that we didn't touch on earlier. Um, so Wild Turkey was actually the first whiskey I ever tasted. It was in college. I did you taste it? it? There. Or, do you re- or did it just happen to you? <laughs> um, I know that someone showed up who was very enthusiastic with the bottle. And we were like, hey, this seems like a good time to try whiskey and see what that's about. And we just kind of went with the flow. <laughs> and I'll stop there. Um, no, but it's it's funny because like going back to the experiential tasting, the fact that, you know, I was at a college party, I tried wild turkey, um, you know, that ambiance, if you will, kind of just painted the picture in my mind, like, okay, this is not something like particularly nice. Like this is not something that years from now when I'm having a nice dinner with family or friends and it's a special occasion, I'm not going to be reaching for a bottle of wild turkey. And then it's funny because since then I've kind of coupled that with the label for wild turkey. Cause that's something else that I, I just love the artwork of different labels for different whiskeys as you look through. And wild turkey is definitely one of those that, you know, when I'm looking at their logo and the way their whiskey is represented versus others, that almost reinforced in my mind, like this is probably a low grade whiskey that I wouldn't actively pursue again. But then in hearing you guys talk about this and, and tuning into the mash bill specifically a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of making me reconsider reaching back to this and seeing if there's something a little bit more to it not versus to, what like even the marketing would reinforce. Not to speak for you, but I bet I can guess what happened. I'm in the same ballpark with tequila. You know, I don't drink tequila. Tequila scares the shit out of me, to be honest with you. There is, I believe, good tequila out there. There are tequila people that are enthusiasts that would be like, you're missing. Because yeah. when you drink, when you drink a wild turkey when you're in college or high school or whatever, you're, you're taking it as a shot. So you're just getting pure mm-hmm. ethanol. You're not getting the flavor and you're not getting any of it. And you don't know how to, you don't know how to drink it. So that's your memory is you're drinking gasoline. 
go back to it and try. I'm well, a Johnny Walker Black fan. That I got my. I started how you started with Wild Turkey. I, Johnny Walker mm-hmm. Black was for, shooting it at a bar, thinking this is hot water. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now I love it. You know. <laughs> And I had a, a similar experience that that was that used to be my whole thing with gin. I you know at some point in college or post college I had gin and I could not tell you what brand it was. Somebody was like, "This is gin. I love it. It's the best." And I tried it and I was like, "Nope, not my drink." You know, and it it was one of those situations where I kind you know I kind yeah. of shot it and I went, Bleh. and then you know for the next. 20 years of my life, I went, gin is bad and gross. Only recently, now that we've been, you know, getting involved with different distillers, distilleries, and all that, that, you know, make these other products. And, you know, I, it started off as, you know, nicely and as just to be polite, I would try these other products. And a, a lot of distilleries that make whiskey are also making gin. And I found a couple gins that I'm like, crap, this isn't awful. Okay. And then crap, I think I kind of like this, you know? So it's, it's that, it's that whole thing back to, you have, you have a memory, you have a memory of this thing and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're, you're, um, over, oversimplifying or, you know, including things in it that maybe you shouldn't, um, that's 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 the whole thing, you know. I just applied that to all gin because all I knew was I was having gin, yeah. and I tasted it and went, "Yuck, gin's bad." You know, well, what if if somebody tastes whiskey one time and go, "Yuck," goes, "Yuck, whiskey's bad," and we love whiskey and we have whiskeys that we honestly do not like and we have whiskeys that we honestly love. You know, there's there's a whole thing, and that that's the entire the entire spirits industry. You're gonna find that. When I, when I go to someone's house that's a whiskey person or whiskey enthusiast or when you guys hang out, we hang out, you know, doing the show, we're not pouring ourselves, you know, it's not like when we get together to do a show, I'm going, all right, well, this is a 30-year. No, what are we drinking? <laughs> we're pouring ourselves, we, we're whiskey people, and we're pouring ourselves monkey shoulder. We're mm-hmm. pouring ourselves wild turkey. We're pouring ourselves, you know, Elijah Craig. Maybe it's the, you know, cast drink or whatever or store pick, but that's what we're drinking and we're because it's good we know we, when we drink with other people in the same boat that's what they're drinking um in my opinion and really this is my whole platform it doesn't it you can drink expensive and allocated and rare that's fine but don't turn your nose up to cheaper or local for that matter you know there are some local distilleries doing amazing things that you're probably missing out on if you're not buying local or you're not buying cheap or you're not trying something that's a little bit different, you know, to, to Bobby's point, we, we have had, um, importers reach out to us asking us about local distilleries and local companies and what can I get into my market over here that you guys really enjoy because, you know, they've, they've followed us, they trust our palates or whatever. And Hey, who suckers, (laughs) dummies, um, (laughs) who can you put us in touch with? That would be a good fit. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see uh, the, the whiskey world is very small, which a, a lot of people probably don't know. You know, we're going to start seeing, you know, things coming into the U.S., things going to Canada, things going abroad, things coming from abroad that are um, craft distilleries that, you know, people who trust other people's palates are trying, trying samples of saying, yeah, that's really great. We'd love to have that in our market. And it, not most for the most part, none of it's like mind-blowingly expensive. So it's 
it overall, it's just, it's a really great time to be involved with whiskey. So that makes me want to circle back to something that you guys said a few minutes ago. Let me know if you want to get into the monkey shoulder, if that will help with this conversation. But when we were talking about how um, wild turkey, right, it's, it's made to be consistent and taste the same. I don't want to say mass produced, but I think we did say mass produced. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with that kind of thing in mind with how commoditized a whiskey like wild turkey is, where does that play versus some of the whiskeys that are allocated? Like, can you guys help me understand that difference in that relationship? So there's a, there's so many nuances in everything. So Alec mass produced has good quality and has bad quality. You know, let's look at scotch, for example. Um, I think it was the Glendronic um, makes a great whiskey, but they've just recently, I think I'm, I think it's them announced that they're going to um, cold. Um, they're going to chill filter, chill filter okay. their, their whiskey um, for this. And the only reason you really chill filter is mass produce, you know, to mass produce to consistent, you know, Johnny Walker, Matt wants consistency. The, the consumer doesn't want each bottle to look different. the color of the whiskey to look different, the uh, you know, whatever, but you you do kind of sacrifice fattiness. You do f- sacrifice oils when you chill filter. So there's there's good and bad, and that's not to say that that's going to be a bad whiskey, but you will lose an element. Um, so that's mass produced. That's that's what that is. Consistency. If they're doing it right, there's nothing wrong with consistency. How that plays in allocation. Sometimes. Rare and allocated are rare and allocated because they are rare and they are hard to get. And they're, you know, specific batches that turned out very well. The distiller, you know, picked this for a certain reason. This barrel had a certain quality this re- this year, this, this season, this grain, whatever the case may be, this made a very exceptional whiskey. And then the sometimes allocated is based on the bottle. And that's just it, you know. Um, I like Blanton's. I think it's great. Blanton's is mass produced. I mean, look, it's single barrel. So year after year, it is slightly different because it is different barrels, different parts of the, but they are creating a whisk. They do want a consistency. So there is a consistency in that allocation, but there's also people buying into a name and buying into a specific bottle there. Um, so it's, it's, it's very nuanced. It's very, there, there, there's, there's pieces of that. It's not just as easy as allocated's good or allocated's bad or mass produces good, mass produces bad. There's pieces of that puzzle that you have to appreciate. You know, when I buy a, a, a certain spaghetti noodle, I want it to always be the same. I don't need some old woman in a back room hand cutting my noodles all the time. So I do. You know, I need that's that. delicious. Don't get me wrong. I was going to say that sounds fantastic. But. <laughs> But 99% of the time, you're not buying that. You're buying something, you you know, the brand you like that's made it the same way every year. And that's fine. And it's also fine to go to the special market and buy the special cut, you know, from the old Italian woman the, sitting the in the The old back. granny sure. whiskey. But then sometimes cutting the whiskey in the back room. It, there's a scene from The Office that I find it's hilarious to me where um, Ryan is, he, his, grandma, his mother makes the best... Um, um, what is it? Um, salsa. So he's like, my grandmother makes the best salsa, but I needed a picture to put on it. So he puts, um, he puts, what's his name? The, uh, Oscar who's Hispanic on the front of it in a sombrero. So 
he's selling the, <laughs> right or he he puts he she makes a good pesto so he puts you know you know what's her name the um, uh, the um Phyllis Phyllis on the front of it so that's what's happening You're, it's a good quality but he understands okay there's a marketing value here I got to slap this picture right, that fits right. you know got to categorize this stuff these are brands <laughs> like any other brand there's a marketing piece and they're trying to sell something to you so you have to neg- negotiate navigate you're being sold something but that doesn't mean bad you know that doesn't you mm-hmm. know i brought the nike thing up earlier nike is a marketing mass marketed does that but nike's aren't bad shoes either you know you just got to are you willing to pay mm-hmm. that money whatever yeah yeah it's a hard question. That's, I, a, that's a hard topic. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to that. I don't want to I mean, degrade it either. I don't want people to think allocated. Yeah. I don't want people to think, oh, I'll never get a Weller because there, it's there, it's a money gouging. Weller's fantastic. You know, the twelve, yeah. the antique is amazing. The special reserve is really, really good. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want anybody to take what we are saying as you know. A mass-produced whiskey is bad, or an allocated whiskey, or that's all you should buy, or, or that, or yeah. that that's all that you should buy. You you should buy back to our the earlier part of our conversation. You should buy what fits your palate. You should buy what you like. If you're buying things that are outside of your palate, maybe you're buying it for when you have someone over who will appreciate it as well. So buy what you like. Buy what makes sense to you. Um, but first, find out what you like. I guess you know it, out of out of. All of the bottle, and I'll end on this and piggyback on it. We own a ton of whiskey. The majority of my whiskey that I own is not rare, hard to find, allocated. It's just not. It, there are things that are easily obtainable that I enjoy. And I, I bet you find that among most whis- true whiskey and, th- and whiskey professionals, that's what you're going to find. Good quality whiskeys that aren't unicorns. Not to say I don't have them. I have unicorns. I have hard to find. I have things that are rare that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. but I don't, that's not all. I don't have three bottles of Pappy 25 and that's all I own. You know, I have other stuff and I think See, know your palate. That's so. I'm actually finding it really helpful the way that you guys answered that question though, because that's one of the things that, um, you know, I've really struggled with previously in understanding how do you know what to look for? And are there simple ways to educate yourself, any good rules of thumb, but it's helpful to know that there are nuances and there are no hard and fast rules between mass produced versus allocated, because I think that helps you just keep an open mind up. And, you know, Bobby, I'm glad that you shared that about your whiskey collection specifically, because I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, I've only sampled a handful of things from you guys when, you know, we get together before the show and we start just kind of playing around with different things that we want to try based on what we're in the mood for. And the richness of tastes, flavors, mouthfeels, just, you know, the diversity of your collection is something that is actually really encouraging to hear. If I want to go out and start building my own, then that's not, you know, it's not going to be some Herculean effort that's going to take me decades and decades because I'm chasing down all of these unicorns. So I thought it was a helpful answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if it helps you feel special to buy something crazy so when a friend comes over, you can be, you know, whatever, yeah, go for it. But, I mean, at the end of the day. <laughs> that person. You know, yeah. but Or if you enjoy that that thing. Maybe you enjoy it. Yeah, sure. I, I do. There's cool stuff. I'm into IBs lately, and independent bottlings are a good way to find inexpensive uniqueness out there and um you know just explain the the name of the group and the show is cask chasers that's not a playful you know 
you know, fun word, you know, phrase, whatever. There's meaning behind it. The point is to keep chasing, to keep finding new things, to keep it's all in the chase. You know, we say it, it's, it's, it's our motto, if anything. TM. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the point is to keep looking and to keep trying and to keep, and that means everything. You know, that means, and I've, you know, what'd you have when we first met you, Katie? What was it? The, um, the stag, the red stag? Yeah, I yeah. got a story about that too. Which is the, the house worst stag. whiskey I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. But I tried it. And until I was like, you put it, until you put it in plastic champagne glasses with little flecks of gold in them. Then okay. It's so, <laughs> so, so quick story for all of our listeners, so you guys don't, you know, think I'm completely insane, <sighs> although I slightly am. Um, so the story there is that when my fiance and I were opening up our entertainment venue. Um, you know, we really relied heavily on a staff of volunteers who were friends, who were unpaid, who were people that were coming in and spending long hours spackling and painting. And then once we actually got open, helping to run events. And, you know, with the long hours we were working and the monotonous work, especially just to get the building open, um, we decided at one point that in one of our liquor store runs and one of our like pizza runs or whatever, we just brought back a handle of Jim Beam Red Stag. The, the black cherry flavored one. Right. And so that night we just started pouring drinks for each other, mixing it with soda, just doing shots of it. We were kind of celebrating because we'd reached a big mile of getting it open. And, and so for us, like there on out, that really ridiculous whiskey <laughs> just became our house drink in a way that we all celebrated together and slugged through some really long events days. So that's, you know, that atmosphere or atmosphere for me that that makes me endeared to Jim Beam Red Stag, although it is definitely not something you hunt for yet. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah, but it, it's, so. it, it's, it's, so that, it's that whiskey for that occasion. I never know? turn down a glass. No, absolutely. Never. I'll, not I'll tell once. You that. Exactly. Every time I go to the theater, it's like once someone I'm like, I guess. Yeah. And then you leave at four o'clock in the morning. So it's a great thing. <laughs> Can we real quick go around and all of us name maybe two whiskeys that are maybe sort of lower to middle end, like literally like brand and like what, what the whiskey is, is that are lower to middle end, why we keep that on our shelves and sort of what, what that speaks to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go first, I guess. Off, Aaron. <laughs> um, so it's your stupid idea. That's right. You dumb idea. <laughs> So the, the, the other day I was like, we go through a lot of bottles of this particular whiskey. Um, we make a lot of old fashions at, at my house. And because we make a lot of old fashions, I was like, I got to find something inexpensive to make old fashions with because several times a week I'm making one for me and one for Christina and we just go through it. So I was like, I got to find, I, I prefer a rye in an old fashioned. You can make it with a rye. You can make it with a, with a bourbon. I've had it with American single malts and it's fantastic, but I prefer a rye in a, in a, in a, um, old fashioned. So what I've started purchasing is redemption rye, which is nothing to sneeze at. It's 20, depending on where you get it, 23 to, to $28 a bottle. I've never seen it for more than $30. I've never seen it for more than $30 a bottle. And it's great. It's great on its own as a rye. And we've said before, I'm not the fan, uh, the biggest fan of most ryes or many ryes. 
and it makes a fantastic old-fashioned or any mixed drink that you're going to put a rye in. So Redemption Rye, um, I highly recommend. We use it mainly for old fashions. And then usually I would I would just spin right around and go to hashtag Glenmo, uh, but I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> um, although Glenmo Orangey 10 is a fantastic uh, scotch that is between $35 and $45. Go get it if you're just getting started on scotch. But uh, Pandaren, the Celt, uh, very, very unique. Um, I think it'd be good for somebody who is trying to maybe start getting into peated whiskeys, like maybe peaty scotches and all of that, because with that one, it's not the, it's not the grain itself that's being peated. It's just being, uh, I don't know if it's completely aged or just finished. I think it's completely aged in barrels that formerly held peated whiskey. So it's a very, it's a slight peat, but a nice little smokiness that you can definitely taste in it. And you're going to find that again for somewhere between 40 and $50, which for any import is, is a pretty low to, to mid price. So those, those are going to be sort of my, my recommendations there for a rye redemption rye, very inexpensive. And for something a little more exotic, uh, slightly smoky Pendarin the Celt. Bobbert. Um, so always on my shelf, um, are two, two, I guess, brands I try to keep, um, Highland Park, the 12 year, which is very easily as far as far as scotch is concerned. Um, very cheap, very easy to get, always available. Um, unique flavor, unique scotch, mild peatiness. Um, there is a cheesiness that some people like, some people don't. Um, we joke around about that we have friends that um that um that despise that cheesy flavor. I can I guess it kind of put off, but I, I dig it. Um, so that one I think. Um, and then my favorite, I guess, cheap go to bourbon is probably the uh, the Four Roses, the small batch. Not the not the, mm-hmm. the, the there's a select that just came out, which I'm looking forward to trying. Um, but the, your everyday the the small batch, I think it's great. I think really anything Four Roses makes is is really 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 good, and I try to always have a bottle of that, you know, on my shelf um, to to have. Um, and then I have some, you know, Amaret Fusion is pretty cheap. It's an Indian single malt. Um, I think it's like sixty bucks as far as um, you know foreign you know whiskeys are concerned, outside of American whiskeys are concerned. And then those are my two, and then that one off. And then I buy local. I have a lot of local that I buy that I, you know, we're in Delaware, so Painted Stave, you know, Old Line out of Maryland, um, Bull Shines on my shelf, you know, um, Reservoir out of Virginia. So Catoctin Creek, you know, as far as my rise are concerned. So I try to buy a lot of local, which are typically decently inexpensive, supportive, and very tasty. So... But my top two, probably Highland Park and then my Four Roses. Those are my easy grab daily. When I come home, I'm not worried about the bottle being gone. You know, not that I'm drinking a whole bottle, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That's, me. <laughs> that's all. You know, maybe. Maybe the whole bottle. Who knows? It depends been, on the day. Been, yeah. you know, you're having a tough day. Yeah. That's all right. We don't judge. That's the one message from this. Don't judge. Just trust your palate. There you go. <laughs> I think, uh, so from my side, um, I've definitely been on a Buffalo trace kick this year. So I'm going to say that's, that's one of the ones that I always keep in stock, especially because it's versatile. You know, um, I had mentioned Buffalo trace old fashions before that's been delicious. And the, 
past months when I could partake. Um, but then also just, again, depending on the mood, it's something that I enjoy, um, drinking over, you know, big block of ice. It's just because it fits so many moods and it's just kind of reliable. It's kind of a nice go-to to just have the next one. Um, I actually haven't had this one at home recently, but for the longest time, anytime I went to the liquor store to replenish, I was picking up a bottle of Breckenridge. Um, that's a bourbon that I, you know, I would say it was kind of at a pivotal point when I started to get serious about exploring different types of whiskey. It was one of the first ones that I decided to buy for myself. And I just remember the, the complexity of the flavors that I was getting and just a little bit of the robustness was something that I hadn't had before. And then when I started learning more about generic price points for whiskey, I realized it wasn't half bad. So I would definitely, or definitely say that uh, Breckenridge is a good one to come back to as well. That's a good one. So. Yeah. Those are good. I'll have to bring it on any, the show. Any honorable mentions? <laughs> I'll throw one out. Angel's Envy. Mm. Not, not really inexpensive, though. I mean, depending on I where mean, you find it. That's why I said honorable. Yeah. I mean, not easily. Remember, Eas- price is easily subjective. Obtainable. Easily it's obtainable. always going to be in your liquor store. Absolutely. Always. 100% of the time. Not And I'm not the the, the everyday Angel's Envy, I think, is um. Oh, no. It's really so, solid. Yeah. Solid, solid. Any honorable mentions from you, too? Hashtag Glenmo. I mean, I'll just go back, back to that. Glenmo really? Angie? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say campfire, but I also don't remember the price point off the top of my head. That was another one I was on a kick on okay. for a while. No, that's a good one though. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think this has been a really helpful conversation. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that we kind of struggle with sometimes in general, Stop not being because we've got our stuff figured out <laughs> that one. Yeah. Just enjoy, enjoy what you enjoy. So um, no, I appreciate your guys' thoughts on this. And uh, thank you to the listeners who were asking these questions and, you know, stirring up the good conversation and reasons for us to enjoy more whiskey together. So, all right, Cast Chasers. So that will do it for this episode on everyday whiskeys and the difference between mass produced and allocation. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cast Chasers. Check out our swag shop on Etsy for official Cast Chaser shirts, hoodies, glasses, merch, every whiskey enthusiast is sure to love. And if you still haven't had enough of the podcast, you can peruse our library of episodes and show notes at castchasers.org. And until next time, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. 